Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. Other people want to make friends? Just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We have a serious public health problem on our hands. More than 20 million cases, 210,000 hospitalizations now, more than 12,000 deaths. And it's not over. The disease is still raging. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. The numbers are staggering, much worse than we thought. Except I'm not talking about the coronavirus. I'm talking about the regular old seasonal flu we are having here in the U.S. Even with the flu shot, it's been incredibly rough. Yet nobody's freaking out over this influenza outbreak. Maybe they should. See, the comparisons are starting to dawn on people. China may have the equivalent of a really bad flu bug. Throw in the fact that the frontrunner from the Democratic nomination is a guy who Wall Street believes is completely unelectable. And you know what? Out of nowhere, you got a recipe for a terrific run. And that is why the Dow surged 275 points today. S&P gained 0.65%, and the Nasdaq jumped 0.90%. I know today seemed ridiculously euphoric, but I know never to quibble with a rally. Stock prices are up. You can sell any stock tomorrow that's up. You can take that money to the bank. No teller is going to say, sorry, that was made off of euphoria, and we can't take your money. But we have to ask ourselves, is all this positivity uh, truly justified and justified longer term? Uh, so what we do is we have to tackle the issues head on so that we don't just say, uh, you know what, I'm going to get caught up in this because everything's clear in China and we're in great shape. First, we have to ask, is the coronavirus outbreak under control? I'd say no. I'd use the word volatile. The situation is still volatile. While the virus appears to be plateauing in China, in China it's still popping up pretty much Everywhere else except for here, our quarantine, our quarantine surprisingly is working. The experts didn't think it would, but it is. They usually don't work. And even as things remain dynamic, the danger in China seems to be abating. That is, if you study any of the numbers that the Chinese give out, there's a lot of different ratios. All the ratios seem to indicate that things are getting better. But you know what? They're getting better. Wall Street's not happy with that. Wall Street likes to get ahead of the story. And Wall Street's acting as if it's done. It's plus any company that spells out its China losses from Carnival with its highly visible duo of plague ships, PVH and Nike. When you see Carnival stock up 2.6% today on the possibility of a big but quantifiable chunk of earnings going away, 
Well, you know this market is driven by hope. I'm not saying it's smoking opium. It's driven by hope. The, the uh, Carnival Company has two ships in the coronavirus crosshairs. There's the Diamond Princess with 3,600 people on board. It's under the care of the Japanese. Although, you know what? I think care is a very generous word here. I think it's time that someone called them out. According to the New York Times, only 439 of the people had been tested on that ship as of yesterday, and 174 of them are infected. Well, then there's the second ship. It's called the Westerdam. It's a hollow American line. There's no virus. Yet it had to stop at five ports before Cambodia agreed to take them in. That all sounds pretty bad. Who the heck would take a cruise right now with the virus sweeping through the cabins? Well, Carnival said it could lose 55 to 65 cents from the outbreak this morning. And while that's not great, it's, it's really a lot. I'd say a lot less harsh than many of us were expecting, meaning plenty of people are still willing to go on cruises. More important, the fall has been quantified, which is why Wall Street's reaching for the stock. And it is. It's like the stock got blessed today. Still, if things stay the same, I'll bet you start hearing that the U.S. flu is much worse than the coronavirus. You'll hear about the things that I said at the top of this. The only difference is that we're used to the flu, so we don't talk about it endlessly. It's, it's not novel, but that doesn't make it any less deadly. Their flu is novel. Our flu is garden variety, except for if you get it. Given that this is a crucial week, the first week back from vacation in China, we should presume that more and more factories will go back online pretty much every day. While Chinese GDP may be greatly reduced, if you believe the situation is stable, then there's still plenty to buy. Now, um, I thought about Apple all day. I think Apple can still go up more. Micron's not done going up. Applied materials, terrific number this very evening. Skyworks is probably the biggest lever to China. Broadcom is one that I've taken a particular interest in. And then my travel trust owns Starbucks. Remember, they reported a fabulous quarter recently. But uh, Kevin Johnson, the CEO, couldn't give a forecast because of its big China exposure. I really like the stock of Starbucks because they're solving that airport line problem <clears throat> Excuse me, that I just talked about the other day. It was something that Jimmy Jill had as a campaign online. And it looks like we've gotten somewhere. So I think that Starbucks really, really works. Bank of America, rep- represent, they like the casinos. They recommended a Macau win and Las Vegas Sands. Now, I got to tell you. I think they're stretching that one. I wouldn't pick up a pair of dice after they've been blown on at the craps tables. Or touch a cell phone that's right there at the craps tables. I wouldn't do that either. Now, how about our election in New Hampshire? Where does that figure into this market? All right, Bernie wins. Mayor Pete comes in second. Uh, Klobuchar third. Uh, You know what that is? That's just enough disarray to make Wall Street more confident of a Trump victory. And I, so I always say, hate him or like him. I mean, this guy, he is fabulous for the stock market, which he regards as his presidential Nielsen ratings. Plus, prominent Wall Streeters are openly scornful of Bernie. My friend Lloyd Blankfein, former CEO of Goldman, expressed the thesis straight up with this now legendary tweet from last night. Quote, if Dems go on to nominate Sanders, the Russians will have to reconsider who to work for to best screw up the U.S., Sanders is just as polarizing as Trump and he'll ruin our economy and doesn't care about our military. If I'm Russian, I go with Sanders this time around, end quote. Wow. Whoa. That sums up the prevailing view on Wall Street, though. They're confident Sanders is going to lose if he's the nominee. Bernie's openly loathed by wealthy and the welcome. He welcomes their hatred, of course. He's betting on class war will be a good campaign strategy. That's really what he's about is class warfare. You might think that makes sense. There aren't a lot of billionaires, right, or even multimillionaires. 
But the money speaks loudly, as we saw with President Trump. We're beginning to see again with uh, old, uh, former Mayor Mike Bloomberg. Look, I think it's a mistake to get too confident about election predictions. Last time, Wall Street was pretty convinced that Hillary had it locked up, right? But it's fair to say that Bernie's got an uphill battle, and the market's not a believer in this guy. Bernie went single payer, which would put the insurance companies out of business. So why the heck were the stocks of United Health, Humane, and Centene the biggest gainers? Uh, among the biggest gainers, because we have Shopify. That was a huge gainer. They're on later the show. You see, if you think there's no chance of a Sanders administration in 2021, you want to buy CVS, that's Charlie Victor, which owns Aetna and was down today after putting a quarter that was very good, but not good enough given how much the stock had run against ahead of the print. Uh, terrific interview on Closing Bell uh, with, with Sarah and Scott and Larry Merlot today made me feel like the stocks can go to 76, 78, where it would be more fairly valued. One thing this market does not lack is confidence. There's confidence that the Chinese have this virus under control. There's confidence that their factories will all reopen. There's confidence that tourism will bounce right back. There's confidence that investors will see through the weak corona quarter and buy now because there's been so much stimulus in China. There's confidence that there will be a vaccine within the next few months. And there's amazing confidence that President Trump will be reelected because the Democratic Party seems divided and will likely stay divided regardless of who wins the nomination. If all of this pans out, it's good news for the stock market. But will it? The bottom line is, I don't know. But I have one conclusion. If you haven't gotten your darn flu shot already, do it. Unlike the coronavirus patients in China, most of the people who have been hospitalized for the flu here, and many who have died, would have been just fine if they had gotten that one injection. Even in February, that's worth investing in. Akshay in California, Akshay. Hey, Jim Booyah. First of all, belated happy birthday to you. Uh, Oh, well, thank you. First time caller, but long time follower, and thanks for all your devotion, devotion to help us get a deeper understanding of the markets. Really thankful for all you do. Ah, uh, you're terrific. Thank you. Great way to start the show. Thank you very much. Of course. Oh, likewise. Uh, my question for you is that I bought into Dropbox when it IPO'd at thirty something, and since then it's just been hemorrhaging money. Should I still hold on to it? There's a man. There's a man. He's in Seattle. His name is Sadia Nadella, and he doesn't like Dropbox. He runs Microsoft. It's a powerful enemy. Drop Dropbox. Jay in Florida, Jay. Jay. Booyah, Jim. Jay, good to have you. Thought for a moment there that maybe I lost you. What's up? I'm here, I'm here. All right, me too. What's going on? Thank you so much for everything that you do. Uh, my question is about Verizon. I know that it's one of your favorite stocks. Do you still recommend it based on now T-Mobile and Sprint merger? Look, I mean, I think that raises a really good question. I always see Bobby a couple times a week, my buddy uptown, and he says, do you stick with the Verizon? And I always say, stick with Verizon. And I'm not changed by this. Look, everyone thinks that T-Mobile is going to be perfect with Sprint. I say you stick with Verizon and stick with Kramer. There are plenty of things in flux right now. But this stock market, oh, it does not lock for confidence. Is the positivity justified? Time will tell. But in the interim, Wall Street's getting ahead of the story. Man, money tonight. Shopify is soaring after earnings. But is there still time to stop and shop at the company? Or has the move been made? You'll hear my exclusive. Then, not two, but three analyst center. Only one leaves. Don't miss an epic smackdown over the fate of Canada Goose. And Valentine's Day is Friday. Got your gift yet? I did. I've got the company that might be able to help. Do not miss my sit-down with Signet. It's not too late to buy something. And stay with Kramer.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits and features, like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most. Plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. There are good days, there are great days, and then there are days like the one Shopify, one of the greatest companies in the world, just had, where the e-commerce enabler reported a spectacular quarter, sent its stock surging up nearly 8%. You heard about it all day. I've been pushing Shopify for ages. Best pure play on the growth of e-commerce. If you're a small business that wants to sell things online, they are your guy. But even I didn't expect such a gargantuan beat. The company earned 43 cents a share. Most of are looking for 23 cents, much higher than expected sales. Get this, 47% year over year. We have so few companies that can do those numbers. It was a beauty. On top of that, Management gave you a phenomenal full year forecast. While the stocks run a lot, three months ago it was at 300, now it's at 531. This market loves growth, and it's not going to stop, okay? This, this company has it, and it's got profit. Let's take a closer look with Harley Finkelstein, Shopify's chief operating officer. Get a better read in the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Finkelstein, welcome back to Mad Money. Harley, great to see you. Hey, Jim. Have a seat. Thanks for having me on. Well, I mean, this is it. I mean, first of all, it was a joyous conference call, which I, you know I absolutely love. But uh, uh, more than a billion dollars per week you're doing. How is that possible? Yeah, $61 billion for the year, which is up 49% from the previous year. Uh, but this is a story of independent brands and entrepreneurs right. doing really, really well. And consumers are voting with their wallets. And I think Shopify is powering the entrepreneurship movement. Uh, when I read through, a lot of people say, you know what, we're about the uh, customer, we're about the consumer. You are adding everything that they need. Uh, this Shopify fulfillment network is exactly what they need to compete with the big guys. Yeah, what we're trying to do is figure out, okay, what are all the barriers to success right. that a small business or even a big business may have? And slowly but surely, we're crossing those off the list. We started with e-commerce right. and then point of sale for physical commerce, payments, shipping, logistics, capital, and now the Shopify fulfillment network. You no, know, you don't even take credit for it. Like I, was, I went on to go to a Shopify place for my daughter. She said, listen, Dad, these guys have the greatest mushroom chives 
things in the world. And I went to them. I went on their query. I said, do you, are you guys do Shopify? I said, yes, we love them. But you're not on their site. You really want to give credit to the customer. We like that position. We like being right. the brand behind the brand. We want to make entrepreneurs and brands look really good. So when you go to companies like Brook Linen or Tom Shoes, like I right. announced today, or Allbirds or Bombas or any of these great companies, we're behind the scenes. KitchenAid. KitchenAid announced it this morning. That's I right. thought that that was an amazing, amazing coup. Because what that says is, yes, uh, Kylie, we know Kylie, and you've talked about that before, but there are outfits that... Just, uh, no matter how big, can use you. But you also won't take the ones that are complicated and drag you down. That's right. So we're actually saying no to some big brands as well. There are some big brands who want to come in and add all their complexity onto our system. And that's just not right for us. So at the top end, we want to get great modern brands or traditional brands who want to modernize. But also at the bottom end, every 60 seconds, a brand new entrepreneur gets his or her first sale on Shopify. And that is what excites us the most. Million merchants. Million merchants. That's just fantastic. Dale. Uh, you've offered something that I think is long time coming. People like point of sale, but they don't want to pay a fortune. I'm going to be just right. Just say it. I know that Square has empowered people, but they take a big chunk. Will you be superior technologically to Square? We hope so. So point of sale is something, and brick-and-mortar retail is something that most people think is actually dead. It is not. Brick-and-mortar retail is important. It will always be important. And so last year, we announced our new hardware kit with our point of sale. In the next couple of months, we're coming out with Shopify point of sale next, which is our new software. We think that we can be as impactful on physical retail as we've been on online retail. You offered something. I've always felt, because my daughter sold stuff on Etsy, she always said it would be big international, but I don't speak the language. You're speaking the language. Yeah, yeah. So... In, uh, traditionally, Shopify has really been focused on the English-speaking world, but now 29% of our merchants are outside our core English-speaking geographies, and international growth is going to be a major part of 2020 for us. You had an amazing, I'm going to use it because I loved it, I learned it, BFCM. Black Friday, Cyber Monday. That was incredible. $3 billion went through Shopify during those four days, and uh, 25 million consumers checked out. And the best part about it was, at our peak, we saw $1.5 million per minute happen through Shopify. That is the example where direct-to-consumer is no longer a fad. It is now steady state, and it's being powered by Shopify. We're at the center of that. Two years ago in San Francisco, I told people I had met you. And I said, uh, this is the most unbelievable company. I think it, I think you quadruple and everyone got made quadruple except for two large investors, two large companies. I will not mention who they are because they told me not to, who said they came to you and said, listen, name your price and you wouldn't sell. Yeah, we want to build a 100-year business, and we're about two decades into it, so we got 80 years left to go. But we, want, we believe that we can do something really meaningful. We think we can be the entrepreneurship company. Uh, while other companies are trying to build empires, we right, are right. arming the rebels. And honestly, the rebels are winning. I love it. Uh, you, you did something that no one else has been able to do. You talked about 2020 being a heavy investment year. Now, you know, Harley, every time anyone says that the stock goes down 10, 15, 20 percent, people recognize that you're investing for the future and they respected it. Yeah. So our core businesses are profitable on a just on an adjusted basis. We actually believe that 2020 is our opportunity to invest in things like international Shopify plus point of sale and the Shopify fulfillment network. But let's be clear. We are still in the early stages of that. We have to get fulfillment right because the small businesses and brands, they need to compete with the big businesses. And we think we're the company that can help them with that. And how about uh, if they need money, if they need advances, what do you do? So we've given out now more than 800 million dollars in cash advances. And, and how, what's your default rate? Very low, actually. Better and than a bank, right? It, it, certainly. And also, what, the reason we do it is because these are traditionally businesses that couldn't go to a bank. And so right. what we're trying to do is give them money to buy inventory, to invest in marketing. And the, the result of it is they're going to be really, really big businesses. How many people do you think you've empowered? 
Well, we know that at least a million merchants are using Shopify, but we also have thousands, tens of thousands of partners who are building apps and themes and referring merchants to Shopify. And so we know the Shopify economy is getting bigger and bigger. In fact, we believe the Shopify economy is bigger than Shopify itself. Well, I mean, I know, but look, Kylie built the brand, the billion dollar brand. Do you have people who are building, say, million, two million, ten million, twenty million brands quietly that we're going to, that we should all get to know? Absolutely. So what we're seeing is it's great that we get the KitchenAids and the PepsiCo's right, and the right. P&G's using Shopify. PepsiCo, look at that. PepsiCo and P&G, they are the most savvy CPG companies, and they know the, they have to reach people through you. That's right. So they're going direct to consumer. Right. They're being more entrepreneurial. But the most exciting stories to us are the homegrown success stories, yes. the ones that start their mom's kitchen table and grow to be category leaders. That's the gym sharks of the world. That's the companies that are just completely changing the game, and they're all doing it on Shopify. And we, we're very... Um, it's very meaningful to us. It is truly something that we think is quite special. Passion. Passion. Just pure passion. Yeah. Harley Finkelstein, COO of Shopify. You see why I love this one? You see why I think we double again? They have money spec every day. Coming up, Kramer puts a ring on it. With Valentine's Day upon us, will this jewelry stock show investors some love? Diamonds are forever. But Mad Money returns next. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. This has been a ridiculously mild winter, right? I mean, it's incredibly warm, which means it's been an unforgiving winter for the outerwear industry. Columbia Sportswear melted down after they issued some grim guidance last week. That's a good company. Remember, we just spoke to the CEO, Tim Boyle, last night. They're not alone. Last Thursday, Canada Goose, the maker of high-end parkas, reported an okay quarter with good but not great results, or at least it seemed okay until management slashed their full-year forecast. And there's only one quarter left in their fiscal year, meaning they think the current quarter is going to run out bad and turn out ugly. Stock got slammed last Friday, sinking more than 4%. But a funny thing happened on Monday morning. After taking all weekend to think about the numbers, some analysts decided to re-rate the stock. Technical term meaning they decided to give a new perspective on whether something should be bought or not. While Cowan and Goldman Sachs, two great firms downgraded from buy to hold, Baird actually did the opposite, upgrading it from market perform to outperform because it was down so low. Yep, we've got a three-way analyst dogfight. I love when we get these dueling research reports because they let you evaluate the best arguments from the bulls and the bears so you can decide. Once you put both sides to the test, we're going to have a much better understanding of the story. Think of it as mad money beyond Thunderdome. Three analysts enter, one analyst leaves. So let me walk you through the both camps. and I, I think we'll be able to figure this one out together. First, though, let's give Canada Goose its due. 
They have a terrific product. Those high-end parkas are fabulous. My wife has two of them. And I think very highly of the CEO, Danny Reese. He's the real deal. Plus, Canada Goose was a phenomenal performer for its first 18 months as a public company. Now, I recommended this one the night it came public nearly three years ago. It was a dud. It was traded 16 bucks and change. And if you bought it down there, well, you still have more than a double. Canada Goose surged to the 70s in November of 2018, thanks to its turbocharged sales and earnings growth and some cold weather. But then the whole market rolled over. The stock plunged to the 40s. And since then, it's never fully recovered. Every time it attempts to rebound, it ends up breaking down again. For the last few months, it's been stuck in the 30s. How did Canada Goose lose its mojo? We started getting warning signs a year ago when the company's holiday results merely met expectations rather than exceeding them. Imagine it maintained its guidance rather than raising it. That may not sound too terrible, but Canada Goose was still a high flyer back then with a high price earnings multiple, and those need to keep beating the numbers to justify what's known as the premium valuations, premium to the S&P 500. And that was the moment when Canada Goose became a battleground stock. We don't like battlegrounds and mad money. Fast forward to last May, and the company reported its first sales miss since it came public, with a pretty subpar forecast, too. They've been growing at a 40% clip. Yes, we like that. Now management told us they were going to guide for uh, at least 20%. Well, that's a major slowdown. Didn't help that we had a trade war with China. The People's Republic is a key growth market for this company. In response, the stock got correctly eviscerated, plunging from the high 40s to the mid 30s. Not only was Canada Goose a battleground, it was a losing battleground, although managers seemed to think that what they were doing was just fine. They weren't that familiar with the ways of Wall Street. Even though the next two quarters were genuinely better than expected, the company couldn't seem to get the stink off those lackluster May numbers. In particular, last November, Canada Goose delivered a spectacular 14 cent earnings beat off of 43 cent basis, much higher than expected sales, up 27.5% year over year. The response? Crickets. Crickets. Nobody cared about the beat because management refused to raise their forecast. Investors want a beat and a raise. You gotta have both, people. Canada Goose gave you a beat without a raise, which is like a rebel without a cause. Because it suggests the future might be worrisome. That's a real problem, especially for a company like this one that gets half of its sales during the holiday quarter. Which brings us to last Thursday, when Canada Goose reported its holiday results. This time, this time, the headline numbers were oh so slightly better than expected. Really, they were in line. Nothing terrible, nothing special. Canada Goose used to have a habit of smashing Wall Street's estimates, and it seems like they've fallen out of, pra- out of practice. Much more worrisome. After two quarters of beats with no raise, well, this time they cut their full-year forecast. That's deadly. Before Canada Goose projected at least 20% revenue growth, the number that was so horrifying and crushed the stock last May, well, now they're talking about 138 to 15% revenue growth. Throw in some rapidly weakening margins, and management predicts the earnings will be flat to down slightly. They were supposed to be up 25%. Flat to down? For a growth stock? And this is a full-year forecast for a fiscal year with only one quarter left. The implication? Business falling off a cliff. On the call, they explained that the coronavirus is killing them in China and the accompanying disruption in travel has really hurt them in North America and Europe. So is the goose cooked? Couldn't resist. But, well, I don't know. Okay, let's talk about the analysts. Cowan's Oliver Chen, one of my favorites, real rigorous guy. He has a terrific track record. Like me, he's generally been pretty bullish on Canada Goose. That's why his downgrade was, was so striking. He says Canada Goose is facing saturation pains in its core Canadian market. 
They're Canadian company. Meanwhile, the outbreak means their major expansion plans in China are on pause. Now, maybe this new news that we've having with this kind of you know, more uh, bullish feeling about China, maybe it could help them. But Chen's skeptical. He's skeptical about their ability to expand beyond coats They're into adjacent categories, too. Canada Goose needs to make that happen. But there are real risks moving into lower margin products. That same morning, Goldman Sachs downgraded from a buy to hold for similar reasons. Canadian business was down 12 percent. Their direct-to-consumer business came in weaker than expected. The coronavirus outbreak is devastating. Goldman also notes that Canada Goose is moving more of its production in-house. Now, that could result in high inventory levels going forward. And too much inventory is, of course, the bane of all things retail. Goldman's record here is much worse than Cowan's, though. They recommended the stock after it got crushed in May. And while that call worked initially, they hung on too long and the stock came right back down. So now they're with the real, it's a towel throw, okay? How about this bull thesis from Baird? How the heck can they upgrade Canada Goose to outperform when the company's problems seem so dire? Simple. They believe the estimates have been reset. In other words, that the bad news is it. Canada Goose cut its earnings forecast by nearly 20%, and the stock only dropped 4% on the news. That makes them think the negatives are mostly baked in, which is why they like the risk reward here over the next year, yeah, next year or two. If anything goes right, you know, for instance, if it would ever get cold, the stock can take flight once the coronavirus subsides. They think the stock could potentially double. If things keep going wrong, well, Bear says you're protected because Canada Goose no longer has a premium valuation. It's trading in line with other luxury apparel plays. Basically, if that hideous guidance couldn't break the stock, what can? Persuasive argument. I admit that, especially coming from a firm that downgraded Canada Goose only a few months before the stock peaked in 2018. Good street cred. Still, I have to side with the bears on this one. Sorry, Danny. This is tough. I mean, Baird has a point about the potential upside, but I think it's crazy to stick your neck out for Canada Goose here, not just because I saw dozens of them on the racks at Saks Fifth Avenue the other day and thinking, oh, my God, it's 50 degrees. Are they ever hung with these? Company reports get me. And I want to see those numbers before I ca- try to catch this falling knife. Why? Because Baird is wrong about the downside being limited. Canada Goose sells for 24 times earnings, and if they keep disappointing investors, well, they're just, they know that they're going to get clobbered. Bottom line, I think Canada Goose can eventually turn itself around. Danny Reese is a smart merchant, but you need to be patient. While some of these problems are temporary, that doesn't mean they can be resolved overnight. And the stock could still go substantially lower before it gets, let's say, turned around. For now, let's leave Goose in the oven or warm until they show us they can turn things around. Reggie in Illinois. Reggie. Hey, Jim. What's your take on Elf? Uh, is it a good stock? Elf's making a comeback. Elf's making a comeback. Now, I am the like yesterday order, and I'd much rather be with the higher rather than the lower, particularly if you think that the coronavirus may have peaked. EL is the one to be in. The stock has moved up. Uh, Elf has had a terrific run. I congratulate them that they've made a comeback. But the one to be in is Estee Lauder, because we like best of breed on Mad Money. And Fabrizio Freda is the essence of best of breed. Let's leave Canada Goose in the oven, all warm, until they can turn things around, which I think they will do eventually. Much more Mad Money. They say diamonds are forever, but could an investment in SIG Signet last as long? I'm going to talk with the CEO. Then, uh, why do you have Casper, the unfriendly IPO, to thank for keeping this market in check? One of the reasons why the market was up so much today. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. As Signet Jewelers, which you know, believe me, has finally gotten back on track, this is the company that's the parent of K Jewelers, Jarrett, Zales, among other brands. And I know it's been in the doghouse for a while. 
Cigna traded at $150 in late 2015, but last September it was at $10 and change. Even after bringing in a new CEO a couple of years ago, they didn't seem to be able to turn things around. Maybe it was too mall-based in a year when, let's say, the mall's under siege. But in the last few months, Cigna's caught fire. The stock's now up roughly 160% from its September lows. 160%. The most recent leg came last month when their holiday sales numbers came much better than expected, allowing management to dramatically raise their forecast. I think this term could be the real thing. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Jenna Droso. She is the CEO of Signet Jewelers, and that's S-I-G. To get a better sense of where our company's headed, and now that Valentine's Day is right around the corner, maybe we get some gifting ideas. Mr. Droso, good to see you. How are you? Good to see you. Again. I know this is, this is the star, but we got to go right to you because you came to me <laughs> You came to me a couple years ago and said, this is going to be a three-year turnaround. You do passive brilliance. Don't get ahead of yourself, Jim. It's going to take three years. I wanted you to come. I, w- I drove the idea. Now, now, now. Um, I was early. You weren't. It's really working. You know, transformations take time. I mean, it's a few steps forward, a step back, and we had some things we needed to fix in the company, and uh, the strategy's working. It's well, good to see. Well, go through passive brilliance, because when you first told me about it, I said, ah, it sounds kind of business school I don't know if it's going to work, but it turned out to be re- the real deal. Yeah, well, it's the real deal. So uh, we have three key strategies, customer first, omni-channel, and building a culture of agility and, and efficiency. Let me start with the last one first. Okay. We, we've been saving money in the company. We're driving out costs that customers don't see or care about so that we can invest to grow. Okay. We're on track to deliver 200 to $225 million in our three years of transformation. We won't stop. We're building a cost-conscious mindset. Mm-hmm. It's a new muscle, and we're going to continue to save so that we can grow. So what are we investing in? Customer first. That's been all about bringing new product, product that really resonates with customers. And that was one of the key drivers of holiday. But I think people have to understand, they may not have memory. There was a previous administration. We don't deny that. And when it was $150, some of it was kind of pumped up on steroids. It was, in many ways, a bank that sold jewelry. This company that you're running is a jewelry company for people who love jewelry. I think that's a very big change. Well, we're a jewelry company who wants to make uh, customers have a great experience. And what kinds of customers? Because you've got the best diversity I've heard. We do, you know, and and I think it's important that we represent our customers Mm -hmm. in our company. We have uh, a, a very strong stance on diversity and inclusion. One of the few companies that has gender parity on our leadership team, on our board of directors, 75% of my store managers are women. So it's true inside the company, but it's also true in how we represent our brands. We celebrate all love. We're showing a lot of diversity in our advertising. In fact, we have our first Spanish-speaking advertising launching now on some of our brands directly targeting Hispanic consumers. And you have 16% is LGBTQ bridal market, which I want to congratulate you. That means people know that you are an inclusive place to shop. They're smart. They know that. They can tell who's not inclusive. Well, and we feature same-sex couples in our advertising. It's important to us that we're inclusive of all couples, all kinds of love. I salute you for that. It's really terrific. Most people people don't get the way America looks right now. But it's also where, as you say, exactly where customers are going. Millennial consumers really want to shop with brands who are more diverse and inclusive. And you know what we saw over the holidays is that relative to other jewelers, our target customer was younger, more millennial, higher spending. And so I think this customer targeting that we're doing and the way we represent our brands is starting to work. Well, it's going to be long-lasting, too, because they're younger. Absolutely. And they liked, let's just run through some of them, because I think it's very exciting. As a a guy reading through it, I didn't understand center of me. This was a big hit. 
It was. I, I mentioned to you um, last time we talked, there are three key parts of our merchandising strategy. One is building big, iconic brands. So you see Neil Lane and Vera Wang. We've been building and bringing innovation on those brands. We also create our own big, iconic brands. Mm-hmm. So this is a Signet Creation Center of me. It did very well over the holidays. You know, the idea is that, um, that you know, the, the, she can be the, you know, the center of his life even when things are really busy or, um, you know, in any kind of a couple that can work, that one is really, you know, helping to center the others. We launched Marilyn Monroe for the first time. It's been huge for us. And you also said, you know, you source responsibly, which is really important. A lot of millennials will say, where do they get their stuff? Are they doing things I don't want? It's very important. And that's an area where Signet has been a leader for many years. Absolutely. So we set the standard in the industry. All of the jewelry that we sell, the diamonds are all responsibly sourced. All of our metals are uh, conflict-free. So we really make sure that people can feel great about buying our jewelry. And I I want people to understand you've got some businesses that are really on fire. Piercing Pagoda is (laughs) really, you can put how many more of those up? It's, you know, Piercing Pagoda has been on a great run. I will tell you, we have a fantastic team on that business. They are so energized, a really charismatic leader of that organization. And they've been um, out in front of trends. So yellow gold is a big trend we're seeing now across mm. all of our banners. Piercing Pagoda got there first. So they've done a great job. In the meantime, free cash flow bountiful, so we don't have to worry about that uh, very large yield, which is... You know, well, we've been working on that, though. This is one of the areas that we talked about last time. We've been building a more durable balance right. sheet. We refinanced some of our debt to give us some more liquidity. Right. Uh, did that in the second quarter. And then I've been working a lot on the cost savings, but also on inventory to give us a better free cash flow. One last thing, uh, a lot of, lot of mall base. You know, we had this big deal yesterday uh, with uh, Talvin got the bid uh, from Simon Properties. How do you feel about the mall? You know, I, there there are some people who who feel differently from how mm-hmm. I do, but I think there are malls that are very much alive. Uh, I see our footprint as a competitive advantage. We still have more optimizing to do. Right. Uh, we are overexposed to sea malls. I've been okay. working on that. I've gotten out of 12% of our store footprint since I started. So we work to continue to optimize to bring a better in-store experience and to do that in the right places. So well, a lot of times a trade area is very good. We just need to move our store out of the mall and into an off-mall location. Well, so it's me, a combination. Sustainable turn. That's what people want. That, that's and what we're delivering working for. You're delivering it. Well, thank you. We're just getting started. Okay, really. I like that. That's Shinna Joseph. She's the CEO of Signet. The yield's good. The store's making a very, very big comeback in, I think, record time. But you always told me it's going to take some time, and you've done it. Congratulations. Thanks, Everybody's back into the break. It is time! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Doug in New York. Doug! Hey, how you doing, Dr. Jim, the investment professor? Thank you. All right, happy belated birthday, number one. Much appreciated. Okay, um, JD Com. No, 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 no. We like Alibaba. We're willing to give you Alibaba. Don't we? are not going to give you anything else. Why? Because we don't trust them. Okay? Period. End of story. I know it's up. Alibaba's up too. Let's go to Kevin in Florida. Kevin! 
Booyah, Jimmy Chill. How Jimmy, are you doing this evening? I be chilling. I be chilling. What's up? Right on. Calling from beautiful Bellevue, Florida. Probably never heard of that one. No, it's a new one for calling. me. Yeah, right, right near Ocala. Uh, I am calling about DBD, Debold Nixdorf. No, they'd they be got- awful. That, that's an awful company. Horrible numbers. I don't even know what to say about them. They, they're going nowhere fast. Let's go to Brent in Alaska. Brent! Jim Booyah! How are you doing? I am good. How about you? I'm great. Booyah from the last frontier. Ticker IQ. What's your take on that? Okay, that's the uh, Chinese Netflix with a lot of people at home. You figure they are doing well, and the stock reflects that. I like Alibaba. Let's go to Eva in Pennsylvania. Eva! Hi. um, First of all, happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. Um, Second of all, thank you for taking my call. Of course. My question is, uh, what do you think about CRISPR when compared with so many other... I like the spec. I like the spec. As long as you recognize it is a spec, I do like it. Donald, New York, Donald. Hey, Jim. As a uh, as an income investor, dividend investor, I'm finding the uh, yield on enterprise product part is very compelling. And who well, knows, it is, it it is the part? best of the lot, but I don't like to recommend fossil fuels or pipelines. They are going, you know, their their history. And uh, a good example is how great a company enterprise products is, but it doesn't matter. Yield six point seven. Nobody wants it, so I'll be the last to tell you to buy it. Chef, let's go to Jeff in Oklahoma. Jeff. Hey, booyah to you, Thank Dr. You. Jimmy Chill. You bet. Uh, I'm chilling. My question is about AT&T. I think uh, AT&T's fine. I believe with the bull case. I am aligned with the bull case of Elliott Partners. I am not with the bear case of Buffett Nathanson. I think you're fine there. Reed in Florida. Reed. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Call it from Clearwater, Florida. The spring training hometown of your Philly. Jack Tar, man. We're ready for you. What's shaking? Hey, wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Virgin Galactic. It's a short squeeze right now. It's way up too much. It goes up a little bit every day. There's not a lot of stock around. I say do not touch it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Yeah, I've been thinking... The market owes a big debt to Casper, the unfriendly IPO. The total collapse of this mattress deal should sideline a ton of crummy, money-losing offerings unicorns for at least a couple of months. Throw in the possibility of a coronavirus devastation at Airbnb, and this lack of major IPOs will keep the supply of stock tight. Not enough stock around means the demand can take it higher and the high flyers will have more room to run. What's propelling this market, really? You hear lazy takes about how the Fed's driving things. Uh, people say this to sound smart when they haven't done much homework and don't really know about the stock market. Nobody ever calls them out on it. I just did. Others cite President Trump and his anything-goes pro-business attitude. I think that misses the point. The president's been good for the stock market, but he's actually more focused on cracking down on China than on boosting our businesses, and some of his agencies exhibit a populist bias against some great American companies. What is this ill-fated FTC investigation of Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, Google, Look, I understand the importance of antitrust enforcement, but as a stock guy, I want to see these big tech firms make more acquisitions, create more value for the shareholders. So Trump helps, but uh, that's not the whole story. So they say it's all earnings, which have been pretty good. That's definitely part of it. Finally, there's the only game in town cohort, the people who judge stocks against other asset classes, especially bonds. Pay benchmark 10-year treasury at 1.64. Well, the stock market doesn't 
really offer much. That doesn't offer much competition to stocks. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, today uh, the uh, coronavirus was solved. Uh, yeah. Me? Me? I'm all about supply and demand. We keep taking out supply via massive buybacks and massive takeovers. Witness T-Mobile devour Sprint. Simon Property Group snapping up Taubman. And the bankers can't simply, they can't pump out enough supply to uh, meet the demand. So stocks go higher. Which brings me back to the ghost of Casper. Here's a specter of a deal that was almost surreal in its horribleness. Stephen King-like. First, there was no demand for the thing, at least not until the stock dropped below 10 bucks over this week before rebounding more than 4% today. The foolish underwriters tried to price Casper at 17 to 19 bucks. No interest. They took the price down to 12 13 Still not much demand, but the bankers forced it anyway at 12 bucks in a moment of pure desperation for who? The bankers? The company? I don't know. Having done these kinds of deals myself, both from the sell side and the client side, I can tell you there's momentum to an IPO. The bankers start the process. Whoever picks 17 to 19 well, let me tell you, I got something made up for you. Thank you, Dylan. This is for you. You are a legendary Wall Street funny man. Either the client desperately needed money because they felt the competition breathing down their neck, or the people who run Casper should transfer to Clown College or even Clown University. Maybe they get an advanced clowning degree. In other words, the deal never should have happened. Last spring, Casper did a fundraising round that valued the company at $1.1 billion. Now it's barely worth $400 million. Pretty soon I won't even be able to talk about it so small. Geez, these investors in this last round, they should, they should have to go back to school with Rodney Dangerfield. Underrated movie. I told you to stay the heck away from this one uh, on Friday because I think it could go even lower. Despite endless buzzwords about how they're disrupting the sleep industry with a go-to-market strategy that's personalized in a lean-in way and direct-to-consumer with a supercharged omnichannel platform, if not an ecosystem, that you should be sure to double-click on, at the end of the day, it's a darn mattress company, for heaven's sake. A mattress is arguably the worst home category out there. Just ask Mattress Firm, which went bankrupt in 2018. You got too many players. You got the Tempur-Sealy, you got the Sleep Number, you got the Purple Innovations, the Lisa, Assertus uh, Tough the Needle, all of which are at least as compelling as Casper. In some cases, I think they're much cheaper and even cozier in a scientific, data-driven, transformational, consumer-centric, synergistic, multi-channel, go-to-market, double-click way. In the end, the Casper IPO reminds me of, I searched in the lexicon of various areas of my cranium, and I came up with the producers. Yes, the producers. They took a huge number of investors in a fatuous private funding rounds, including targetable places, and completely diluted valuations. Then, unlike the producers, the show was a bust. Now, if this deal had worked, we would have had a dozen more IPOs already coming, jamming us, money-losing unicorns falling from the sky downtown, no path to profitability, flooding the market with supply. That would take capital away from high flyers that we actually like, the Workdays, the Koopas, the Adobes. It would create a loose environment, no discipline, something that could have gutted the stock market. Sell, sell, sell. We would have had to clean the unicorn stables with no implements, just our hands. Instead, somewhere in the bowels of the syndicate desk, there are discussions with unicorn CEOs saying, unless you have a path to profitability like Uber right now, we don't want your deals. We can't hurt the buy side like we hurt them on on this Casper. I don't want this on my desk. So thank you, Casper, for doing a deal that no one liked in a category litter with failures. <laughs> Sorry. You gave this market a nice breather from the IPO onslaught. Oh, and for the record, the bed's nice. I bet it even has some technology in it. Just like all the other beds. Stick with Kramer. 
The situation in China is still fluid and dynamic. So stay right here because you do not want to miss a CBC special report on the coronavirus outbreak. And it's hosted by my friend Tyler Matheson. It's coming up next. I don't know about you, but Shopify is up so much. I can see you say, listen, I don't want to be in it. I know that my Chattel Trust sold it after a very big game. But after listening again, I realized, you know what? Now they're taking it on Square, on point of sale. They're going to win. They're going to beat Square. And what that tells me is there's another leg up for the stock of Shopify. Like I said, there's always one more summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The CNBC Special Report begins right now. Self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. Self-monitoring is power. Visit ManagerBP.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration.